Welcome to Torah Smash, the podcast for nerdy Jews, where our lives of Jewish learning collide with our love of nerd culture. In each episode, we discuss what we lovingly call a Torah Smash, which we have defined as a beautiful collision of one thing from the world of Judaism with another from nerd culture. I'm Ethan Lane Miller, and joining me today are Barack Malkin, RDY, and Roy Schwartz. Yeah, that's right. Our guest for today's episode is Roy Schwartz. Roy is a pop culture historian and journalist. He writes for CNN, The Forward, and IGN. His work has also appeared in New York Daily News, Jerusalem Post, Philosophy Now, and Literary Hub, among others. Originally from Tel Aviv, Roy received his bachelor's degree in English from the New School University and interdisciplinary master's in English and social thought from NYU. He has taught English and writing at the City University of New York and is a former writer-in-residence fellow at the New York Public Library. He regularly lectures at universities, conferences, and conventions. Roy is also the author of Is Superman Circumcised? The Complete Jewish History of the World's Greatest Hero, which won the illustrious 2021 Diagram Prize for Oddest Book Title in the World. (laughs) Welcome to Torah Smash, Roy. Welcome. Thank you, and thank you for that lovely intro. Yeah, nice to meet you. I didn't know they had that award for Oddest Book Title. Me neither. So there's a British organization and publication called The Bookseller, which is like their public uh, publishers weekly, but it's been around for, you know, 200 years. And they have a very real, though humorous award called the Diagram Prize for Oddest Book Title of the Year. And it's an international prize. And in 2021, my book is Superman Circumcised, which is obviously a uh, funny title, won and it's apparently the first book to ever win a super majority of the votes. And I am <laughs> yeah. far prouder of it than I should be. You know, That's, I I, hey, I, I don't know. I think you're exactly this, as proud this, as you should real, be. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So I, I, I shoehorn it in every conversation because I'm, I'm way too proud of it. Yeah. What I really want to know is where the Moyle got a kryptonite scalpel. Ah, so. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So the book is, it's a history book of Superman and comics in general from the Jewish perspective. And it sort of looks at Judaism from the comic book perspective and comic book law from the Jewish perspective. But I wanted the title to be eye-catching, but also to kind of signal that I'm not taking myself too seriously, right? But here's the thing. You can't name your book, Is Superman Circumcised, without every old Jewish man that has ever been taking you aside at some point and telling you all their circumcision jokes. Yeah. Oh, oh god yeah. oh, no first of all that may have to be my next book yeah you know i'll just call the it the next book you know, title is called keep the tips tip. or something yeah i don't know but um <laughs> but i keep getting asked this question and by the way you'd not believe how many people really think that's what the book is about i had like anti-circumcision activists go after me wow it was amazing like the anti-semites i got fine i know what what motivates them but some people really thought i wrote a whole book about the process of circumcising circumcising Superman, which is amazing. But <laughs> I kept I keep it's amazing, getting, but sadly not surprising. Yeah, exactly right. So, you know, I keep getting asked this question sometimes, seriously sometimes. It's not, well, how is he circumcised? How is he circumcised? How would you circumcise him? Kryptonite, not kryptonite, was he super so I finally had to come up with an answer. Oh ready? my gosh. <laughs> yes. So as you and every listener, of course, knows the lore, he was born on distant planet Krypton with the birth name Kal-El. 
and his father was named Joel, and he was circumcised by Moyel. <laughs> uh, <laughs> oh, that is so good. That's wonderful. Oh, that's a great That joke answer. is so on Torah Smash brand, too. That is, oh my God, that's fantastic. Oh, Thank that's you. I'll be here all night, folks. Thank that's, you. <laughs> that's like outro level, but so good. I, it should stay right where it is. Yeah. Oh, it's um, absolutely 100%. So good. All right, Ethan, take us in. I don't know. Oh, we haven't even to, started. Yeah. I don't know how to follow that, to be completely honest, but I'll, I'll try. Um, so it has been a very good month for those of us who enjoy superheroes and also happen to have a Disney Plus subscription. Not only did we just get Echo, and if you happen to miss the most recent episode, stop what you're doing. Go and listen to it. It's great. We talk all about Echo. Is that a spoiler, Barack? No, this comes out after that episode. So okay. <laughs> it would have, yeah. But we started with the Jewish, but okay. So for this episode, we're going to be talking about the second season of What If. I have really enjoyed What If. I'm not someone who's really kind of steeped in comics. And so I really enjoyed the first season. I liked the twist where the stories kind of became interconnected. And I liked that this one kind of kept it going where there were some that were not directly connected and then some others that very much were directly connected. But in thinking of this topic, I put a lot of thought into what the Jewish connection might be. And so I chatted with some colleagues at work and it was actually a nice man named Barack Malkin who came up with an idea for a Jewish connection for this topic. So with that in mind, I'm perhaps maybe going to invite Barack to not make a guess on what the smash is for what if in Judaism, but I'd love to invite Roy and RDY to maybe make a guess or two. I will allow our guest to try first because I think I have a solid one. Okay. Yeah, I mean, the, the very question of what if, what if something happened this way, what if something had happened that way is a very Talmudic question. Mm-hmm. And that's going to open the door to the idea of other planes of existence and other dimensions and other worlds. And there's all kinds of interesting thought in Jewish tradition about it. And, you know, of course, being Jews, we have to ask, you know, is there a world out there where, you know, Moses was not found by Pharaoh's daughter or Hitler died in his crib or Mel Brooks isn't funny, you know, I don't know. (laughs) Oh, I love that. And I definitely want to get there. I want to hear our own takes on some Jewish what-if stories, but there's a particular text, RDY, and I'm curious if you're thinking of it. Yeah, I mean, it's not a text, but a category of text called Midrash, where they ask questions and they add to the stories and they give secrets behind the secrets and I mean, if you really want to get into the weeds, there are different types of Midrashim and some of them aren't even storytelling. But the kind that we popularize, as Miriam Anzavin aptly described them oh so many episodes ago, they're Jewish fan fiction. I think that's an awesome take on it too. There's a particular story having to do with the Genesis story and creation. And I know, I think it was when we did Spider-Verse, we talked a bit about how there were two kind of creation stories in the Torah. But according to Midrash, after many attempts at creation, you know, God finally arrived at our world and said, this one pleases me, the others did not please me. So that obviously implies that there were multiple other worlds that God created and then said, eh, never mind, and ended up picking this world. 
And I loved this idea, Barack. So again, thank you so very much, because I think it opens the door to a lot of really, really interesting questions, really interesting questions. So God liked Earth 616. Yeah. <laughs> so I think one of the one of the questions is like, what happened to the other 615 Earths? Maybe they're still around. Or however many else there were. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So RDY, do we actually know what God is is looking for? Like, do we have a guess as to, and I guess this is for everybody actually, but like, what is it about this earth that God said, you know what? This is the one. I would say, you know, looking around, my question would be, really? This is the one? <laughs> well, <laughs> I mean, that, that, that's sort of the my question concern. works in that direction too. That's my concern is that at the beginning, he said, I wasn't happy. This pleases me. There's just the starting point. Like you're building a new Lego thing. And it's like, oh, that base plate, this is the right choice for the base plate. But then you've got to continue building. Like, what if we're not the last iteration of our universe? And like, how many other iterations of creation have people read that story of like, this pleases me, but then he changes his mind and then it's another universe. God, how yeah, many what iterations of Torah seven... Smash are out there asking this question? Right? Yeah. <laughs> oh my gosh. What if in Earth 617, they're like, yeah, what happened to the other 616 that didn't exist? Or, yeah. <laughs> you know, it's all just parallel. Yeah. And if God is truly omnipotent and omniscient, then what's the purpose of this whole exercise? You know, why would he have to oh. go through the process? Meaning the process is the idea. Oh, uh, Roy, you're, then, you're hitting right on one of the questions I want to ask, which is, does this call into question the idea of God of being an all-powerful being? Oh, we're going to get into process theology. I know it. Let's do it. So all-powerful, and this is according to process theology, which is the brainchild of Rabbi Bradley Shavit Artson in Los Angeles, being all-powerful is a zero-sum game. If God is all-powerful, then by definition of the word all, we have no power. That is not a world I want to live in, and it's not the kind of God I believe in who, according to our texts, gives us the power of choice. Mm. So even if free will is our only power, it's still a power. And so part of what makes God, quote unquote, all powerful is that God is willing to share power with us and give us the power of free will, making God's omnipotence in sharing power. And so then you get into like, oh, omniscient and omnipresent. And God's omniscience is, I think, up to, and I agree, this is again, Rabbi Shavit Artson, up to now, whenever that word now is uttered. God knows everything that is happening now and before now. But God can't know the future if we really have free will. God can know the possibilities and God can make really good guesses, just like the three of us with children on this discussion. And, and I would say even the one who works exclusively almost with children, <laughs> that when a kid is about to do something and we know what's going to happen when they do the thing and we do the like slow motion diving towards the thing that's about to fall because we've anticipated because we've made that bad choice before. But that doesn't mean we, we know the future. That just means we have wisdom. Mm. If I uh, if I may riff on RDY because he said so much with so little that I can unpack that and all kinds of things and we you know if I if I may smash the Torah following yeah <laughs> the um so not to spoil anything but if assuming you and the listeners have seen the last episode of the second season of Loki mm-hmm. where he creates the multiversal tree and in that case of course inspired by Yggdrasil the tree of mythology 
that to me in my mind was always a perfect metaphor of how to settle God's omniscience with the idea of free will. And that is, there's a tree of possibilities and he knows all the branches. So there is no future that's beyond his conception. It's a metaphorical construct. I'm not trying to be, you know, but it's still our freedom to choose which branch we're going to climb. So we still have free will. We still have that option. It's not predetermined, but all the options are already pre-known to a being who's omniscient by definition. That's sort of how my brain settled that sort of conundrum. But more to our point, because uh, RDY talked about free will, and that sort of kind of circles back to what if, because what if is not purely hypothetical, right? What if are things that are actually happening in a parallel reality? What if comes from a comic book where the watcher, this uh, almost metaphysical alien, kind of watches and observes parallel dimensions, originally, by the way, through a TV screen. I just want to mention that. <laughs> and uh, he just watches TV all day and he's sort of chubby and I think it's hilarious. And then he becomes a bit more evolved in that sense. And, you know, so it, it's quote unquote happening just elsewhere and elsewhere, right? So it's not purely theoretical. Mm. And in that sense, you know, theologically, Judaism doesn't actually preclude life on other planets. And actually medieval Spanish rabbis debated this possibility. The switch, the linchpin, is that it can't be life with free will. Because in Jewish thought, that's a gift that God gave to humans only. Right? And you have all these parts in the Talmud and Genesis Rabbah and elsewhere, where we are the only ones with Yetzer Hara, the evil urge, and Yetzer Hatov, the good urge, and the ability to study the Torah and accept God's teachings and evolve, and that privilege is reserved only for humans. Even angels don't have that. They're not born with Yetzirah. And that's one of the things that separate Judaism from Christianity. In Christianity, angels are superior to human beings, but in Judaism, they're inferior because they don't have that free choice. Mm. Right On God's right hand in heaven, it's, it's human beings. They're higher than the angels. So in that sense, Yes, there could be life in other worlds, and we can, we'll circle back to how you define worlds, but they can't have free will. That's just us in Jewish thought. I like the so idea that now you're making me question that I, I originally thought he had created and destroyed lots of other universes and creation stories. What if the idea of, oh, this is good, I like this, this pleases me, is the multiverse grouping of creation and that he's watching over this Yggdrasil of our universe and not that there's been more before us because we can't understand how he could be watching multiple versions, but that all of these are happening simultaneously. And that's what pleases him. But now this, this is more entertaining for me, like the watcher, right? God is like a watcher situation mixed with Loki at the end of Loki too. Yeah. It's Have, such uh, an interesting view of development of humanity too, where like, if you look at Torah as like an early, 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 like, hey, this world is perfect and we're making this world perfect. Yay. And whereas today we're like, it's our responsibility to work towards the perfection and to be aware of the choices we're making. I think mm -hmm. it's a cool change theologically. Yeah. Have y'all uh, heard the term save scumming? No. No. So save scumming is a term from video games when you are about to approach what you know is a decision and you save the game and then you make the choice. So you don't like what happens. You go back and reload. Mm. So is, is that what God did in creation? RDA, you, you'll correct me. Um, R stands for rabbi. So, you know, you, you know, better than, than I do. 
Um, but there's actually two, not necessarily mutually exclusive, but two competing views of this kind of multiplicity of creation in Jewish thoughts. So in the Midrash and in later Kabbalistic writing, like in Genesis Rabbah, so we have the Shvirat HaKelim, the shattering of the vessels, right? The idea that yeah. God built and destroyed these primordial worlds until he arrived at the best possible one. That's where we get the expression, the best of all possible worlds. So that's sort of succession, right? That's a sort of monogamy of worlds. There's one after the other after the other until he, you know, until he arrives at the one he likes. But then we have the Arizal, right? The Safed, Kabbalistic, you know, the will in the 1500s, where we have the more metaphysical, you know, this kind of multiversal creation where there were these endless, the creation was infinite, right? The Ein Sof. And then God gradually folded the Ein Sof in a series of contractions, Tzimtzumim, into a finite, singular world. And then, you know, Fallen Kabbalah kind of expounded on that, and you have like the four worlds and all that stuff. So to me, they're not necessarily mutually exclusive, and they've been kind of reconciled in Jewish thought, but there's still two competing systems. One is, you know, building a world, destroying it, building a world, destroying it, and the other one is just crumping them all together, which also very much reminds me of Crisis and Infinite Earths, mm-hmm. bringing DC to the fold here. Yeah, nice, well done. Or even what was uh, it, episode uh, eight? Yeah, episode eight of What If, the What If Avengers assembled in 1602, where they had multiple timelines squashed on each other. Ooh, yeah. I need to finish. I have not yet come oh. out about this this episode. I have finished three episodes of season oh, two. Oh, no. So I'm the Ethan. It's a compliment. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> oh, boy. I definitely want to give us the opportunity to start asking our own what if questions. But I, I also want to give us the opportunity to like still ponder this midrash before we turn the corner. So I'm curious if there are any other thoughts from the gallery before I start posing our own what if questions. Well, I like the comparison of the shattered vessels of the previous broken worlds, that that sort of feels like the opening of the what if series where these shattered pieces of glass are floating past us, that if you were able to find those other versions, right, we're supposed to, and people correct me if I'm wrong, we're supposed to collect those broken parts and that's tikkun olam, that's repairing the world, is bringing those vessels back together. But what if it's not actually... Just the, not just the world. Olam does means world, but it also means like eternal. So it's repairing the eternal. It's bringing these oh. pieces of God back together and you know that idea that when two people connect especially over a mitzvah especially over one doing something for the other that brings a connection and that connection is godliness it's it's very i thou uh, to put it in martin buber's terms so when we i guess our task is to collect all of these vessels so that we can get our own what if finale of these pieces beautifully coming together in different ways yeah RDY, correct me if I'm wrong, but so, you know, Tikkun Olam has its most simple meaning, which is just, you know, making the world better through acts of charity, through mitzvahs and acts of charity, fine. But then there's a very metaphysical level to it where our souls are sparkles of God, right? They're nitzotzot. And the idea is that the shattering of the vessels was this kind of separation of the divine from the earthly, and that we sort of always have to come back to that womb. We always have to you know, very similar to kind of the, the Buddhist nirvana, the tasks and lessons, and you can work your way up. And the repairing of the world sort of means going, you know, ascending and, and rejoining that light is sort of my understanding of it. 
Absolutely. And and there are parts of, you know, the whole narrative of Shvira, the Gelim and, and the creation of the world and Ainsof that we're kind of glossing over because this is a 45-minute podcast. Mm. But I'll just, so, yes. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Anyone want to venture a guess what it was that made our universe the one God went with? Because we're the ones who wrote the story. That's Pretty good answer. People from this universe wrote the story, so of course we're going to get chosen. His- history is written by the victors. Amen. See, I was about to say something like burritos, but you know, fine, we'll go with that. <laughs> this is Wait, the what? second episode in a row burritos have come up. Oh, that was amazing. Wait, well, can you elaborate? What do you mean by burritos? How amazing They're would awesome. it be? Here's my what if. Yeah. How amazing would it be if an infinite series of parallel dimensions of universes of worlds, we are the only one that has... Mexican food. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, Roy, I have to listen to the previous episode. This is amazing. This is great. I understand, Ethan, that another popular thing in Austin is breakfast tacos. Yes, it is. So I'm looking forward to those. Give you the tour. (laughs) Uh, and my children always talk about like, is a taco a sandwich? Is a burrito a sandwich, you know, based on their shape? And then is an arepa a sandwich because it's a different shape, but they're all the same thing with different breads. Stay tuned for the special one-off tourist mash episode, the Austin food tour. Yeah. <laughs> we ask some really deep questions. We'll bring in Alan Dershowitz. We'll see what he says. It'll be a whole thing. Oh yeah. <laughs> that's, that's a guest. We'll start a spin-off series called Somebody Feed RDY. <laughs> All oh, right. Potato so, smash. <laughs> oh, <laughs> that was good. I want to take some time, and I think this is going to be a lot of fun. I want to start thinking about what are our what-if scenarios we might be interested to see play out in terms of Jewish history. And I've been thinking about, you know, I think... We can come up with a few examples, but the one I wanted to start with that kind of first came into my mind is what's one of the most important stories in Judaism? And I think it's the Exodus story. And the what if scenario I'd want to see is what happens in Jewish history if Pharaoh just goes, okay, leave. And I was thinking that. Yeah. Mm. So what what happens if we don't have to keep going back and going back and there's not the plagues and Pharaoh is just like, yeah, okay, fine. It's like first plague. First plague, he's like super convinced. Yeah, yeah. What, what if or just turning like, his yeah. just turning his staff into a snake? Oh, oh, okay. Oh yeah, pre pre plague. Yeah. yeah, snakes. Why did it have to be snakes? Yeah, yeah. So like, what? There's the kind of immediate of like, well, there aren't the ten plagues, but then how does that story of survival not being present in Judaism? Like, what happens to us? Well, all the more so in that particular story of like Pharaoh's position in this story, and you know. Thanks to the bar mitzvah that just was celebrated this past weekend, who had kind of a musing about why is God hardening Pharaoh's heart? If Pharaoh is really going to let us go, why does God prevent him from actually letting the Israelites go? Which is like, that's a mega what if. Oh, so the, you're, this, so this whole topic would be what if God hadn't hardened Pharaoh's heart? Right? Yeah, and shout that's out like- to Cyrus Wishcamper. So if we're doing Jewish what ifs, do we have to end each one with Dayenu? Is that part of the right. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> right. I had a thought about the Exodus story as well, but mine was more what if Aaron parted the Red Sea? Right. So mm. essentially the killing of the Hebrew boys didn't just stop with Moses. Moses ends up getting found by some other Egyptian family. And eventually Aaron 
gets put down and Pharaoh's daughter finds Aaron. And so Aaron is brought up. So Aaron does not have the speech impediment issue. He doesn't need to bring in a second in command. All of these other storylines, because of Moses's hesitation, not wanting to be leader, isn't an issue. And Aaron has a very different set of skills. So what happens when, when Aaron is the one who's in charge of the staff and leads the people out? And there's no brother support because he's not reunited because his brother is off with some other Egyptian family. And he just has perhaps Miriam as the, the only assistant. Maybe. I don't know. I'd love to see that play out. What if it was Miriam? Right? Yeah. Yeah. Barack, that's a very Marvel style what if because yeah. you're taking another character and saying, hey, this character missed that uh, yeah. critical moment. I forget yeah. what they call it in Spider Man, but a the, canon event. Yeah. Canon event. Thank you. Yeah. So, you, yeah. You know, cool. I'm assuming that most people know what if from the TV show, but of course it's based on a, a long running comic book series. And in the comic books, one of my favorite series of comics, it's one of the most creative ideas in modern comics. There are two types of stories. There's the, let's take the characters, you know, and completely turn everything else around them. Like the 1602, you know, in the, in the original series, there's what if Nick Fury fought in space, that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. Those are my less favorite. The ones I liked more is when there was one tiny moment in some comic and they just grabbed that moment. And then they said, let's do a story. But what if that moment played out differently? Mm-hmm. And there's this tiny little, what because of a little nail, you know, those kind of things. So bringing mm-hmm. that, because that's my favorite type of story to Exodus, you know, we have that Midrash where baby Moses, you know, th- the reason the Israelites were killed is that there were, there were too many and Pharaoh's viziers were telling him they would side with your enemies and kill you. They'll bring about your downfall in a very ironic twist of fate as the best stories offer. You know, that's what starts the process of getting Moses in the casket and then being found and then being raised. So there's the Midrash, right? Where uh, baby Moses wears Pharaoh's golden crown. And then the viziers say, this kid is going to be, you know, a problem. And then they put him in a, in a room. It's a cold room and there's a bowl of hot coal and a bowl of gold. And they tell him if the baby reaches for the gold, he's too smart, too dangerous, kill him if he reaches for the coal. And then of course, baby Moses reaches for the gold and God sends down an angel shifts his hand to the coal, he burns his hand, puts it in his mouth, burns his tongue, and that's why he's of heavy tongue, but that's why he stammers. And it's a beautiful story. So I would take that story, and I'd say, what if he actually touched the gold? What if he actually reached, you know, the bowl, the gold, and touched that first? How would the story play out differently from there? I love it. Maybe he'd be dead. That yeah. may be the case. And we and, could and all then be speaking Aaron Egyptian right have, now. Yeah. But yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> we could all I, be speaking <laughs> I don't know if this is a similar small item uh, interplaying the storyline. What if Adam ate the apple, not Eve? Oh, I like that too. No, Eve ate the apple and then convinced Adam. And because Eve was the first one to eat from the tree, right? What if Adam was convinced Adam, but he did eat it? He, so what if, so let me, then, then are we going to talk Adam about the not being an apple at all, or are we going to leave that for another? Right. It's not an apple. It's a fruit. (laughs) Right. So what if, what if Adam was the first to eat from the tree of knowledge? How's that? We all we all okay with that language? What if he was the first one? I think it would would definitely be a different form of patriarchy. Yeah. Oh, because now we're we're the first, so we're smartest. You think patriarchy would still have continued in that sense? I think a lot of religious based patriarchy is well. Mm. You can't trust her. She ate the apple. Oh, interesting. So, and I'm that time I'm going to say Apple because it displays the ignorance. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, but the story itself is one of trickery because she, Eve, first says, you know, oh, we're not supposed to 
eat from the apple and then we're not even supposed to touch it where she kind of embellishes. And perhaps the embellishment is to like really emphasize to the snake how important it is. We don't know her purposes for that embellishment, but the snake goes, no, no, it's okay. And then, the, you know, the Midrash is maybe he's touching it. And look, I can touch it. It's fine. Take a bite. If this, if if it's okay to touch it, maybe it's okay to taste it. So she was fooled. And then she in turn convinced Adam and, and they all do this. Well, she made me eat it. And then she goes, well, the snake made me eat it. And the snake goes, I don't have fingers to point. <laughs> and, and everyone gets punished. But I, I've heard it used in theologies that I disagree with that, you know, it's that kind of treachery that we shouldn't trust. Mm, uh, oh, interesting. You know. Yeah, I mean, it, does it really take that much to convince a guy to eat something? I don't know. I think I very <laughs> well said. Yeah. You know, another thought I had, for some reason, I'm really fixated on like the Exodus story, you know, for what if, but I was thinking, what if we didn't wander the desert for 40 years? So what if we had kept our cool, didn't worship the calf and, and Moses walked down and we didn't piss him off? Like, what if we didn't have to wait an entire generation to wander? I'm thinking about, you know, kind of tangential to what you're saying with the, again, I keep the Exodus narrative is so powerful. It's hard to get my mind off of it, but there's a moment before even the plan to murder Jewish baby boys happens in, in early Exodus where a new Pharaoh arose, Joseph, that did not know Joseph. And that idea that you don't know someone and you don't make a relationship and you don't have connections. So what happens? You don't know them. You mistrust them. You fear them. You hate them. And so what if Pharaoh got to know Joseph and got to know <laughs> the people that's fun. and and maybe became a better leader through, because of it? Oh, that's so interesting. Wow. That would completely change that whole, whole segment of our history. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Do you have one, Roy? I have another one sitting in my pocket, but I'll let you well, go. Well, no, I just got into my mind. Joseph, and what if he didn't have the beautiful coat that you know his father gave him? Mm -hmm. And what if his brother didn't sell to slavery? And what if he was willing to have the affair with his boss's wife, you know, <laughs> that got him thrown in jail? And you know, yeah. um also Joseph, if you really kind of read the the story carefully, he starts off as kind of a brick and he through his hardship grows to be a mensch. And that part is part of his name. I mean, Yosef in Hebrew is like an adder, somebody who adds. And he grows, he matures, he starts thinking of others. He's, his uh, dreams, his um, predictions are less and less about him and, and his well-being and more about caring about others. There's a growth of character there from a literary perspective. So there's all these kind of points I could put my finger down and say, what if this, what if this, what if that? And that would be fascinating, some alternate Bible. That's super fun. I've got another one. Yeah. What if Isaac sacrificed Abraham? So instead of testing Abraham's faith, God was wondering if Abraham's family had that same faith. And so instead and would of carry on the tradition. Right. So instead of instructing Abraham to sacrifice his son, would the son sacrifice the father? Right. Curious where that shift would go if it passed the generation as opposed to started one generation earlier. That's like a Seth MacFarlane joke, you know, like, like God, like, holy crap, you, you went through with it? I just went to the bathroom for a second. I was about to stop you. You already did it. <laughs> well, who knows? Joking, man. I don't know. Right. We, we say that. So what if, what if Isaac binded Abraham, not sacrifice, right? 
what if he was the one that went through that tribulation? What would change about our history's story if Isaac was the one put through the test? It makes more sense from a physical perspective because it's, you know, we have this whole argument among rabbis of like, how old does Isaac really have to be for him to be overpowered by a 90 year old man? Mm. And like, they, they're <laughs> like, oh. And so it, you know, definitely changes those arguments. Yeah, Viking style. It's your time, old man. You got to go. Yeah, right. <laughs> what would change about Isaac's story if he was the one put through the test? What do you think happens in his storyline that would shift if he had to be pressured into that and not his father? I have so many biases about Isaac. I need to like refrain. So, so you know, in Hebrew, Isaac is Yitzchak. And while this is not the meaning, it could be read as he who will laugh mm -hmm. because Tzachak is laughed, Tzachak is laughter. So, you know, he, he definitely would have the last laugh in that case. Mm -hmm. Do you think he'd be more of like a Joker type storyline of like the whole time? He's like so serious, cack yeah. cackling, <laughs> right? No, it's just you know we're riffing. It's a random thought that passed through my head. No, 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 I like the idea. Like, well, Isaac's not like evil enough to do that, but would it change his mentality to have to struggle with killing his father? Like, would it break him to the point of becoming this person who laughs, right? Like the like the Joker. Like, would it break his mentality in that sense? And so he still keeps the name, but it's a little more twisted. The killing Yitzchok. Uh, what, was, what was Isaac's personality? So I remember sort of Jacob's fault. I remember Abraham's faults, but Isaac is a bit of a blur. What were, what were his faults? Everybody has faults in, in the Old Testament, right? What was his thing? Sure. Because they're well-written characters, they all have faults. I think part of the reason you might, you might be drawing a blank on Yitzchak is that he's not a main character in his own story things happen to him instead of him driving the narrative when he needs to find a wife he doesn't go and find a wife abraham sends his servant who we know midrashically as eliezer to go and find rebecca and then when rebecca comes home he's just sitting in the field he's not doing anything and then other parts of his story he goes and he has a, a run-in with abimelech who tries to be romantic with Rebecca. And hey, didn't that same thing happen with his dad? Yes, it did. And then he goes to dig a bunch of wells. And the wells he digs are all the same wells his father dug. So he doesn't really do his own thing. There's a what if. What if he did his own thing? Yeah, what mm -hmm. if he was... What oh, if he interesting. Took, took initiative. What if Isaac was the main character, right? Yeah. What if? I'm going to be mindful of the time. I got one last question. What is a what if scenario from a different nerd category that you would want to see play out? For me, this has roots in the Star Wars novel from a certain point of view, where we learn that Yoda felt that Leia is the one who should have been trained as a Jedi and not Luke. Mm. And I would have loved to see a universe where Luke lives on Alderaan and Leia is the moisture farmer on Tatooine. <laughs> oh my gosh. What if the Ninja Turtles didn't have Splinter to raise them? There's a great, I mean, Roy, you mentioned the nail which is a great Superman title. There's like Justice a, a League, DC. The Nail. Yeah. yeah. The, it's Alan Davis, who's one of my favorite artists. Yeah. It's a great little DC what if. 
And then, then there's Red Sun. I'm sort of convinced that Red Sun. So I read all the drafts of the original Superman movie script. Those of us who don't Puzo. know, what's, what's Red Sun? <laughs> oh, for Susan. Yeah, for RDY's sister Susan. She's not as much for, of a nerd. Yeah, for Susan, Red Sun is the storyline where Kalel's ship crashes in the USSR. Oh, uh, nice. And by using those words, you know when it was written. Right. So in the original Mario Puzo first draft script for the Superman movie, there's a very brief sentence where he describes the rocket ship approaching Earth and it flies above Russia to give the audience a thought of, oh, is he about to land in Russia? What if he were landing in Russia? But then with the rotation of the Earth, he ends up in the mm. American continent landing right in the heartland. And I'm convinced that at some point, Mark Millar, who wrote Red Sun, just read that script, saw that line, said that's a story in itself, and turned that into Red Sun. I never asked him. I will one day, but I'm, I'm convinced that's, you know. Uh, but I'd say logic. my, just to be snarky, I would say my what if is, what if Warner Brothers got their act together to produce several good DC-based movies? Oh, no. <laughs> oh, oh, my gosh. Love it. <laughs> that's a what if I've been saying for years. Ooh, what what if oh what is his name what's the best friend in lord of the rings oh samwise gamgee sam, sam gamgee. gamgee yeah what if samwise gamgee was instructed to carry the ring what if he had to carry that burden how would that change the story that's a good one i like that good for sean astin <laughs> oh a very common one in that same vein is what if it wasn't Harry Potter who was the chosen mm -hmm. one, but, um, oh man, Neville, but Neville, yeah, who's had all the same, you know, his yeah. parents were killed by Voldemort, and it's it's just that Voldemort yeah. went after Harry's family and, and mm -hmm. cursed him, yeah, that's great. Um, can we, I, I already why I know that you have not seen it, so I apologize for all of them. Can we share like favorite what if episodes from this season? Oh, I still have one of those, okay. Because the Happy Saves Christmas episode oh, is Die Hard. Yeah, it is it's, die it's hard. great. Totally. So many references. I was laughing pretty hard, and like my wife was watching with me. She, I was like, "Oh, that's never mind. You don't care anymore." <laughs> like enough references throughout that it was hysterical. I, I was love great. that Happy took on that role. And Die Hard is a Hanukkah movie, so it's all good. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Well, especially because it has Nazis in it. So, you know, it all fits together. Right. <laughs> um, I would say my favorite was the second episode. That was the, um, what if Peter Quill fought the Avengers? And of course, oh, it's, wow. in, it's in like 1988. So it's Howard Stark and Peggy Carter. And it's this kind of proto-Avengers team. And that just was very comic booky uh, yeah. to me. I really, really liked the first episode. The film noir, Blade Runner-esque Nebula mm -hmm. story. I ate that up. Nice. Yeah, I mentioned in the last one, uh, in the Echo episode, about Gahori. I really enjoyed this brand new super... This is the first time there has ever been a superhero in the Marvel Universe that this is the first appearance. No comics, no previous storylines, not a side character. Fully created for this. I really enjoyed this novel storytelling in a new era, new, unique perspective. Yeah, really enjoyed this idea. Yeah. I also enjoyed, I mentioned the 1602, loved the Robin Hood-esque storyline that went on in there. Super fun. Can I ask a, a Susan, a question for Susan? Yeah. Is Happy getting Hulk powers, is that a thing elsewhere? I've never seen it. I've never seen it. So that was something they introduced 
for like a couple episodes in this. That's so interesting. Well, yeah, it was introduced in the Christmas episode and then they kept doing the callbacks and that was when I knew, oh, they're going to do it again. They're going to have yeah. a culmination event at the end, which I have mixed feelings about because the comics didn't have culmination events of these what ifs. They were purely one offs, right? Correct mm-hmm. me if I'm wrong. Um, no, that's correct. And so the I fact mean, they that they had bleed from the what ifs into the mainstream six, right? But the, but the what they ifs had... themselves never met each other eventually. The fact that both seasons they can't get away from this idea that these can just be left alone. No, I think you're irks, right. I think you're, yeah. it irks me a little bit. Like, I get it. I understand there's like callbacks and us nerds enjoy, as we call here, Afi Komen throughout where you get to see the little things in the background. Um, Roy Afikoman or what other people call Easter eggs, but we call them Afikoman. That yeah, you thank get you to, for that. I appreciate yeah. that. Yeah. <laughs> the I callbacks... it was a superhero, Afikoman. <laughs> Afikoman. Oh, no. Yeah, what if Afikoman was the superhero of the Exodus story and not Moses? I don't know why they can't leave it alone. And I, it's it's probably for the nerds to say like, oh, that's this, that's this, that's this. I now am a completionist. I know everything that's going on in the What If series. I would like a What If that's just left alone and just really cool story and they dive into what makes that so unique. I would probably prefer five really incredible one-offs as opposed to a culminating nine, 10 episode series. That's just me. So what if, what if was different? (laughs) (laughs) What does that mean? Amazing. He's rephrasing your question. Is that what you're? Oh, okay. I yeah. Get it. Yeah, I get it. <laughs> Which is the most Jewish thing you can do. So it's a perfect. <laughs> yeah. Respond to the question with the question. <laughs> yeah. This has been a phenomenal conversation. I yeah. was so excited to talk this over with Barack and have the opportunity to kind of help fuel this episode and some of the discussions. Uh, and Roy, thank you so much for joining us. Before we go, yeah. do you have any shout outs or plugs or anything you want to get off your chest? <laughs> thank you for for having me off my chest let me step on a soapbox here and you know we have yeah. another hour I feel like al bundy from married with children <laughs> the um there's a lot of stuff going on and i don't want to bore anybody so if you just follow me on social media you can find me on my website royschwartz.com it's so hard right royschwartz.com and on social media i am real roy schwartz and all social media don't fall for any of the fake roy schwartz's real roy <laughs> schwartz uh facebook twitter instagram I don't do the TikToks and uh, all the news that's fit to print, uh, book festivals, comic cons, and some maybe Hollywood related news coming up. So just follow me there and you will see. Did, did Taurus Mask oh. just get a scoop? To be continued. Oh, that's so fun. Ooh, oh, that's I can't wait. awesome. <laughs> very fun. Well, what, whatever that might be, you've got three people on this call who are very, very excited. What if? For sure. What if? <laughs> what if? What if? What if we remembered this episode was coming out on Valentine's Day? <laughs> oh, happy Valentine's Day, everybody. Is, happy Valentine's, happy Valentine's, happy happy Valentine's Day. Oh. It's the Valentine's Day special. Oh, I love being here. <laughs> All right. That'll do it for this episode of Taurus Smash. Our fiscal sponsor is Jewish Creativity International. Our theme music was created by Sean Fogel. You can check out Sean's bands and studio work at www.thesleepywest.com. If you enjoyed today's episode, be sure to rate and review us wherever you listen. It helps others find us and is an excellent way to support the podcast. We want to hear from you and continue today's nerdy discussion. Go to torahsmash.com to find where to connect with us online, purchase swag from our store, support us with a donation, find previous episodes, and more. And finally, 
Why didn't Iron Man like his new assistant rabbi? Because he wasn't happy. Take That's time. fine. If he barks while you're talking, you can take a pause and just like start that right, sentence right, right. again. It's totally fine. Yeah. Ethan's cat sometimes bites his microphone. So, yes. Oh, Whoa. Rock, you couldn't have done that any better. Yes. yes. Good timing. Where Thank are you, you very based? much. I forget. What? I know you're from Tel Aviv. Yeah. Where do you live now? In the other Jewish homeland, Long Island.